Good morning, KGF family. You got Tasha Sword, Tasha Sword, Tasha Cross with us this morning. Sorry, Tasha. Okay. Uh, uh, welcome. Tasha is one of our Stephen ministers, and we have this amazing picture of her because you're a nurse, Tasha. And uh, just tell us a little why this level of PPE, which is a new acronym to me in mm -hmm. these last number of months, but why this level? What is this? Why is this necessary? Yeah, so this is uh, me at work um, at the hospital. Um, wearing personal protective equipment, PPE, PPE. Um, from pretty much head to toe. So I have the bonnet on and the face shield and the N95 respirator gown and uh, actually rubber boots so we can wipe them down. Rubber boots as well. Wow. <laughs> um, so uh, this level of protection um, is for what we know as COVID-19, but it's an invisible virus. So we can't see it coming to us. So we wear all of this to protect ourselves and our patients. Wow. That's, I, you know, having not, not in that field, uh, in that high call, uh, like what, what, what was the emotional response to all of a sudden being asked to do this? Because, you know, been to the doctor many times, been in a hospital many times, but haven't always seen this, even at the hospital, right? So what was the emotional response as a, as a medical professional. Yeah, well, the first few days were overwhelming um, as things were changing so rapidly. Um, but this is close to what we normally wear um, for a procedure. Um, and it's, it was just, it was overwhelming by um, all the thank yous and everything that was coming to healthcare workers. Mm. And, uh, you know, I really appreciated the words of affirmation that were there. But for me, I, I just didn't feel like a hero. It didn't feel heroic to me. Huh. It just felt like this is what God has given me for gifts and talents. And he's given me the opportunity to go to school and to be a nurse. And so that's what I did. I just walked into work like I have been always doing. Always doing. So how, how, long have, how long were you prepared? trained to do this like was this like wow covid's upon us and now boom <clears throat> now hey come to this special training session yeah no um so i mean even in even in nursing school we practice hand washing we practice gowning and gloving um and for me that was you know 14 15 years ago and then the respirator that you see um it's not like when you start at the hospital and you get your 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 access badge and you know your your name tag and then they fit you for uh, a respirator. Um, we we fit those respirators, the white mask that I'm wearing every year um, oh, really? at the hospital. Yeah, we call it fit mask testing. So we go into a room, we put on a respirator, and then we go through a number of little motions and tests huh. um, to make sure that that's the appropriate fitting respirator for us and. Yeah, in my area of nursing, we do that every year. So like for 14 or 15 years, you've been prepared for this moment. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Well, thank you for what you do. And the Stephen ministry team across our church, thank you for what you guys have been doing for us. Uh, but also thank you for serving in this high call and for giving us this great example of what it means to put on the full armor of God, which we're about to talk, to, talk about church. And Marissa Burns is going to lead us in a scripture reading. So, Marissa. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Thank you, Marissa. A few years ago, a lawyer called me. We're doing a reference check on a candidate being considered for a provincial Supreme Court judge. It was all pretty standard reference check stuff until it shifted in this direction. It began with this question. So, am I correct that you are this person's pastor? Well, that's correct, I said. So, they said, is, so this person is a Christian. And there was a pause. And I knew what was coming next. And I actually began to pray in my mind for I was about to be in conversation with a principality and a power. So came the next question. Would their Christian faith inhibit them from treating all people with impartiality and fairness? And something had shifted. The conversation was no longer about the candidate, but about the place of ultimate authority. Who would this potential judge answer to when it boiled right down to it? It was not character or competence, but faith that seemed to be the real deal breaker. Now, a lengthy conversation ensued about defending the rights of the vulnerable, of upholding the rule of law, of what it means to be Christian in the 21st century. Is it possible to be loyal first to Jesus and at the same time defend the rights of those who you may not personally agree with? Well, we talked about the nature of the gospel, about Christian love that's centered in Jesus Christ, about the image of God in all people, about the call to serve society because of Christ. All these things we talked about, and I was praying all the way through. My battle was not with this very fine lawyer. It was with a power that demanded allegiance of her and me. And when the conversation ended, there was another pause, another silence. And then she said, I've never heard some of this before. And then this was no longer a reference call. Well, I said, you know, you have a very high call. Uh, thank you for serving our society the way that you do. It, it must be very trying and difficult work. And I don't know if you're a person of faith, but I wonder if I might pray for you and bless you. 
And then there were actually sniffles on the other end of the line. And she was crying. Oh, yeah, please do that, she said. And I did. And I suspect that was a reference called like neither of us had had before. But in that conversation, there were a few things at work. Number one, this very fine lawyer was filling a necessary institutional role within our society. She had to defend the philosophical and political convictions of a system. As a disciple of Jesus, I was not against her. My job was to pay attention to my own standing under the lordship of Jesus and to what was said and what was unsaid. Because of Jesus, I was not just for the candidate. I was for the lawyer because Jesus is for both of them. We were both human. And the powers needed to be disarmed for our humanity to shine through. Ephesians 6 verse 12, which Marissa read for us, said, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Say that with me. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Leslie Newbigin wisely says this. He's a missiologist, spent many years in India as a missionary from the United Kingdom. He said this, We're not fighting against the individuals who perform their roles within society. We know well that when we get a chance to talk intimately with them, they themselves feel powerless. We bought one of those pop-up pools this spring. The kids are loving cooling down and watering the lawn with it. Uh, and they also love turning it into a whirlpool. Have you ever done this? If everyone walks in the same direction, you create a current with great power. But you can't always see the power until you try to go in the opposite direction. And at that point, you have to stand strong because others are coming and they're not stopping. And suddenly, and this is the fun part, actually, you're bumping into each other and there's flailing and chaos. And in that moment, though, my battle standing in the pool, is it really against the person coming at me? No, the battle is the current. And I can either give into it or keep moving against the power that we have all helped create in order to restore peace to the pool. And this is essentially what Paul is saying to the, as Ephesians comes to a close. The church, the saints, the adopted heirs who sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Do you remember our little Lego realm structure here? That there's three realms. There's the heavenly place, that's the yellow. There's the earthly realm, which is the green part down here. And in the middle is the spiritual realm, the place of powers and principalities, which is where Paul is talking what Paul is talking to, uh, to us about today. And so the saints, the adopted heirs, are those who have been saved by Christ and now are positionally seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. The ecclesia, the church, is seated with Christ here, but sent to stand in the current of the world. To be called out as the people of God by faith in Christ is not to escape the current. It is to turn into it because God so loved the world that he saved, sent his son to save. The body of Christ is the witness of another way. 
And so the church is wrestling with powers that are seeking to bind people in this earthly realm, that deceive and demand allegiance of those who are made in the image of God and eventually cause good people to feel powerless. And who has not felt a deep sense of powerlessness these last number of months? I have. How do you stop a virus you can't see? Well, you put on PPE, as Tasha Cross reminded us. Essentially, once people accept that there is a powerful, invisible reality, then we'll get ready for the real battle. And a host of realities are leaving people with a sense of powerlessness and hopelessness these days. Hatred, racism, despair and confusion, cancel culture, fake news, labels, slogans, ignorance, intensifying conflicts all over the world. Don't we often feel powerless against these currents? It was no different in Ephesus, the city of change in 62 AD when this letter was written. And this is where Paul has led us now as the letter comes to a close. Those who are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and are now his body in the world are not against people. We are fighting against powers that sweep history and people along. Ephesians saw or sorry, Ephesus saw endless change. And they put up a good fight by screaming their identity as the great guardian of Artemis way back in Acts chapter 19. But Ephesus was really quite powerless. Ephesus saw political change sweep through about every 150 years or so. Now guess what? This week, Canada is going to celebrate 153 years. Pray for Canada. But this is really in the grand scheme of history. Canada is a short national experiment and one that is being challenged in new ways and will probably be reimagined perhaps with great pain in the years ahead. His life is not static. Our endless, uh, it's never endless progress. There are powerful currents often beyond our control. And so the questions are as real for us today as they were for the Ephesians. How will we engage the powers that be but we can't see. How will we be sure we're fighting the right battles? Christians are saints, the adopted, the spirit-filled children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We were dead in our transgressions, but God, remember that? Christians are raised from spiritual death, having been saved, and they are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And then God has revealed this great mystery that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, are one family and household of God, a new humanity declaring his goodness down here. Paul has been leading us to this climactic point. The church is at war. We are fighting a battle against a current and a power that is binding people God loves. Jesus on the cross stood once and for all in the current of religious and political powers that swept up men like Caiaphas the high priest and Pilate the governor. And on his cross, in his resurrection and in his ascension, Jesus defeated and disarmed those powers and he is now leading his body to do cleanup work to embody his victory. This is the story of the mighty power and love of God 
And it's why Paul says, finally, in verse 10 and 11, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Finally, from this moment on, be strong and empowered. Take your stand. So how is this true enemy, the darkness of the devil's schemes and methods that fills these principalities and powers, the spiritual realm, how are they to be fought? Well, Paul is clear. Not in our power and our intelligence. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah said, in his day, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And so we stand in the Lord and his mighty power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and rescued us from life without hope and without God in the world, the power of surrendered servant love that awakens the dead. This is the power in us, in the church. And we stand before the gaping door of an empty tomb. We stand beneath the lordship of the ascended Jesus under whom all things will be brought into submission. You can look back in chapter 1, verses 21 and 23 because that's where Paul started the letter. The powers of this middle realm, this blue space, they were created for good, actually. They're part of God's good creation. They pull us they were meant to pull us in the current with God, but instead they turned and rebelled and sucked humanity into that whirlpool. That's the Genesis 3 story of the fall of human beings into sin. These powers became demonic. They became diabolically subtle. They speak with worm tongue and they twist truth and they discredit our creator and even creation and they feed our callous hearts, our hard hearts. And these powers, originally ordained by, uh, to be part of God's good creation, to guide human flourishing and wholeness like politics and ethnicity and sexuality and even money, can become, as Leslie Newbigin says, powers for evil when they attempt to usurp the place which belongs to Christ alone. For example, think about money. Regardless of the currency some system of exchange has always existed. And when money is submitted to God, when money being used down below here is submitted to the purposes of God, it becomes a means of wholeness and generosity and provision and meeting human need. But when down below here, money is given the place of lordship, a God, it becomes a power, demonic, mammon, the Bible calls it. What that which produces greed and inequality and selfishness, it destroys human dignity. Or think historically. Was every German 80 years ago a despicable Nazi? Of course not. They were swept up by a powerful current that took spiritual courage to fight. If you read the Barman Declaration of 1934... It was produced by church leaders in light of the rise of Adolf Hitler to power. One of its six points was this. Jesus Christ is the only Lord of all aspects of personal life. There should be no other authority. That was written in 1934. Many of the authors of that declaration were dead or exiled within 10 years. I used to meet with a crusty old German 
He loved Jesus. And he lived till the day of his death, shamed by his own story. He ended up a prisoner of war, one of the few who survived the sinking of a German submarine as World War II neared its end. As a 16-year-old, how many 16-year-olds out there? As a 16-year-old, this young guy was brought into a recruiting office and told to volunteer for the war. A few paces ahead of him, a few young guys refused out of conviction. They were lined up along the wall, and I can still remember him doing this. Every time I'd meet with him, he'd tell me this story. He said they were lined up along the wall and shot right in front of them. And then he said, well, the rest of us all signed up. <laughs> and I regret, he said, that I have, didn't have that same conviction. Now, was he an evil man? No. He was caught up in a current that by his own admission, he did not have the spiritual strength to withstand. Do we really think we're so much smarter? So much stronger. The good news is this. In his death, Christ disarmed the powers. He has put them under his feet. They must now serve him. And in the church, the church is the agency through which his victory is being manifested and affected into the world. The ecclesia is to put on the full armor of God to meet and master them in this battle. In other words, the household of God, the church that you are a part of, is the locality of the victory of God over the powers and must prepare for battle. We aren't any more special than anyone else. We're simply the repentant who freely confess that we're powerless. I once served money, but no more. I once served sexuality, but no more. I once served politics, but no more. I once served religion, but no more. I once served hashtag whatever, but no more. I see now that I was without hope in the world. I was a weakling, but God. I have been raised with Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm putting my hat on backwards for his glory. I have brothers and sisters in the family of God. We are heirs and we live from the position of being with Christ above the powers. We will not stand by as the powers sweep people away. This is no game. Jesus Christ is Lord. Awake, be liberated, and look out, powers of darkness. The saints are coming with a power greater than the one that is in the world. Amen. Now, if you haven't absorbed that you're in a war, wake up. Wake up. Because this message is for the ecclesia. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. Be alert. Wake up. You're in a battle of cosmic proportions and eternal consequences. Church, we need the full armor of God because a battle rages in this kairos moment. Our call is to stand in the mighty power of God. And so says Paul. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand in the day of evil. So we can stand, come what may, 
and it was exceedingly strong, this current in Ephesus. To stand, we need this armor. And so Paul, who's writing from prison, remember, and has seen many Roman soldiers, this armor is an internal spiritual reality. It is the PPE of the battle we are in. A spiritual battle requires spiritual preparation. And so if you are floundering, let me just say this. If you're floundering in the spiritual battles of this age, it's probably an indication you're not spiritually equipped. Are you focused on becoming spiritually equipped and whole? To stand against the cosmic forces of evil is going to take more than another Brene Brown insight. Brilliant though, brilliant though she is. Oh, she's amazing. This spiritual battle is going to take more than watching another documentary and getting that fact figured out. It's going to take more than even live streaming a service like this. To stand requires putting on what God himself provides for his children. And what are those things? Well, let's look. Verse 14, the belt of truth. Literally put on your big girl or big boy pants. <laughs> Tighten up what is real and true and dependable according to God and live from there. The truth here, that word, the truth literally means reality. What is not illusion. The powers of darkness want us to live clouded in confusion. And we may be living, honestly, in one of the most conflicted and confused times in human history. We don't even know what news to believe anymore. God's truth cuts through all this and exposes our shaky foundations. And these revelations, by the way, are often painful and costly. In Christ, God reveals the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. Like Bob Cowan, who was playing piano for us this morning, Bob said in one of our recent KGF Ecclesia podcasts, and by the way, check out our Ecclesia podcast, um, Bob said this a couple weeks ago. When he became a Christian and began understanding God's revelation in Christ, life began to make sense. If you're not held together with reality and God presents Jesus Christ to us as the full expression of his true reality, if you're not grounded in reality, then you're going to drop your drawers when the battle is waged. What have you pulled up and wrapped around you to hold you together? And then, verse 14 as well, the breastplate of righteousness. Your heart, your core, is protected by the approval of God and living out what God approves of. Because we were once without hope and without God in the world, sinners in the path of God's just wrath, but in Christ, God intervened and we agreed with not only his judgment on human sin and us as sinners, but that his might can rescue us. And we became heirs. We've been given a righteousness that is not at all deserved or earned. And since it's, a gra it's by grace and since it's a gift, the enemy can never say we don't deserve it because we know we don't. Our core is protected by the unmerited wonder of God's approval, his righteousness, 
of those who trust God and not themselves or any other power. It's all gift. My heart need not be strained by the anxiety of approval. I have God's approval. And so I now seek to do what God approves of. My heart is guided by this positional awareness. And then verse 15, Paul says, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Our foundation for our stand is wholeness. We are people who know God's shalom, his wholeness, his joining together into harmony of all things in Christ. We're at peace and we can therefore make peace. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. In Christ, all that was broken and in conflict has been brought to peace. And this is the internal so it's a spiritual internal reality, but actually in Christ, it's more than that. It is a relational reality within the body of Christ because Jesus is our peace who broke down every dividing wall that exists between a Jew and a Gentile or anybody else who's come to him. And so our foundation and our standing in the current is a place of peace. We're in war, but our foundation, our foothold is peace. The ecclesia, you see, rejects the weapons of the world. We contend for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The saints stand on the peace that Christ has won and in the promise of the peace that Christ will bring about. We embody this peace. The church is the mysterious living example of this reality. And this confounds the powers. So how is it possible that different generations who sometimes don't understand each other, or different cultures, who sometimes war with another, or different perspectives, or different histories. How can these come together and not destroy one another and not get swept up by the currents? If Christians don't live into the peace that Christ has won and secured for us, we have capitulated to the powers that deceive. In my Peace and Reconciliation Network work, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was in uh, the Pacific uh, Northwest U.S. There's Slavic churches, Russian-speaking churches, where there are literal fistfights in the hallways between Ukrainian and Russian-speaking peoples who are part of the same church. And it's because of the news feeds they watch back from, from back home. If the church capitulates to the powers and doesn't live into the truth of the foothold of peace that Christ has won. We will not stand against the current. We just are the current. To keep peace on your feet requires constantly checking your laces. Verse 16, Paul continues, the shield of faith. Knowing this God of grace, love, and peace being filled with the Spirit of God awakens confidence that God can be trusted. Now, this is a beautiful image because a Roman shield was as big as a door. A soldier could literally hide his entire body behind it. And this is the image, faith, that God will keep his covenant promises against all odds, even in the face of the greatest of evils, is what we stand behind. The dark powers will fire their darts, 
but it is the awakened faith in God that is greater that we stand behind. The powers may look impressive. They may even woo convincingly. They may threaten menacingly, but God is faithful. Christ is victorious. Listen, faith is actually not an option in this world. You will stand behind something. Can it really protect you in the current, that thing you're standing behind? Paul continues in verse 17, the helmet of salvation, our mind guarded by the knowledge of the goodness of God and our position with Christ in the heavenly places. We were lost and without hope, but God. Our minds were once, once vulnerable and futile. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 17. They could easily be attacked, but now our mind is guarded by applying our salvation to our thinking. Since I couldn't save myself, but God did it, I now can stand. I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint. I was an orphan, but now I'm a child of God. I once lived foolishly. Now I'm imitating my heavenly father over and over again. This is who I am. My mind guarded by the awareness that in Christ I am rescued. I am a child of God. One of the most profound weaknesses in the church of this age is our incapacity to think like Christians. Listen, and thanks for sticking around and coming back. We begin so often our pontificating from the place of our politics or the most recent podcast or our wokeness that we've come to or just, or just even sheer laziness. But we don't start from the place of thinking Christians whose minds are guarded by the helmet of salvation. And this is directly connected to what Paul says next. Verse 17, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The dagger that we carry, our offensive weapon, is God's speech. God's Word is the breath of His Spirit in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here we come again to a crucial point. If Scripture is not your authority, something else will be. Okay? We just have to admit that. If Scripture is not your authority, you will give that authority to someplace else. The first statement in that Barman Declaration that I mentioned from 1934 of these confessing Christians in Germany as Hitler was rising to power was this. This was their first statement. The source of revelation is the only word of God. Jesus Christ. Any other possible sources, earthly powers, for example, will not be accepted. This was a direct shot across the bow of Nazi propaganda. They were not saying there weren't other things worth learning. They were declaring that the ultimate source of fighting the battle against the current of their time was the Word of God. The Word of God is the weapon that brings all other things into clarity. Engagement with God's Word is directly connected and related to your spiritual growth and your spiritual power. A Christianity Today survey revealed that 90% of churchgoers desire to please and honor Jesus in all they do. The fact that's not higher than 90% is marginally troubling, but regardless. 
And yet, though 90% say they want to please and honor Jesus in all they do, only 19% of those surveyed said they read God's word every day, which was the, almost the exact same percentage of people who say they want to please Jesus in everything they do, who rarely or never read the scripture. That was 18%. We're living, you see, my friends, in a most challenging time. If we do not know the word of God, we will be powerless against the forces of darkness. Are you trying to stand in the battle against the powers without any weapon? If Jesus, the Son of God, responded to the attacks of Satan with the word of God, and you can see that he did this in Luke chapter 4, then how do we expect to stand, discern the times, have anything to say, or even have hope at all, if we aren't people wielding the word? Our church provides a daily scripture reading guide we did for Ephesians, and that's one of the reasons why we're also encouraging people toward triads and life groups, to sermons like this, to wield the sword together, to wield it in community. And you might need to grow in how you understand the word. There'll be a 50-day scripture reading through Mark that we're producing to, to share with our church family for the summer. And so you might need to grow in how to understand the word. That's called discipleship. But speech, the speech of God is our weapon against the lies of darkness. And the fact that Christians have forgotten this is an abandonment of our post, a dereliction of duty. And too many of us are asleep in the battle while we hold dollar store daggers. And then Paul continues in verses 18 to 20. And pray in the spirit in all, on all occasions. Prayer is the work. We pray in the spirit. We pray according to God's will, God's heart, God's purposes, God's word. We pray as Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. We pray as the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God empowers the church and directs us at the, into the times in which we're living because we're on the front lines and we are intimately connected to our true home. We pray all kinds of prayers, says Paul in verse 18. Pray all kinds of prayers. There's no prayer off limits. Just pray them all. And we pray for all the Lord's people who are in the battle with us, not just those we like, not just those who are the same denomination. We pray for all the Lord's people. Prayer is our battle anthem, our source of fortitude and courage. If we don't hear from God, we're sunk. Our proclamation and our demonstration of the good news must be sourced in prayerfulness. Otherwise, ours will be a shaky stand and an uncoordinated advance. Paul asks the Ephesians as he ends this passage in verses 19 and 20, he says, pray for me that he might fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the good news of God because he was an ambassador in chains. What a great statement. Paul knew where he was. He was still doing his work. He was an ambassador there, a prisoner of Christ. And even he needed the power of prayer. For even in prison, the gospel is ultimately free and unbound. And the battle goes on. And so in the end, the ecclesia, the church, fights not with weapons or powers like the world uses. No, we engage the powers of darkness with the word of God and the power of prayer. In prayer, we don't just stand in the current. We speak to the current, to the powers in Jesus' name. 
And a prayerless life, a prayerless home, a prayerless church will be powerless in the current. Being a Christian in Ephesus, the city of change was costly. The Ephesians rioted when Paul and his team first arrived in 52 and 50, in 52 AD. By the time Paul wrote this letter to the Christians there, they were, they were, Christians were targets throughout the empire as disturbers of the peace and a menace to society. By 68 AD, six years after this letter was written, the emperor Nero would be crucifying Christians and lighting them on fire as torches in his own garden. Slaves and masters, wives and husbands, male and female, Jew and Gentile, those seated with Christ in the heavenly places, the ecclesia had to stand in the current of the powers and stand they did even as they fell. And now we have this letter. Huh. That we have this letter and are ourselves the fruit of centuries of faithful Christian witness. Despite the regular need for the church to be repenting, for us to be renewed, the fact that we have this letter is a testimony to their stand. And Ephesus, you know what? Ephesus faded into history. The city of chains shifted again. And guess what, friends? Ours will too. What will last is the gospel. The mysterious good news of Jesus' victory that awakens and births the ecclesia, the church, the communion of saints for this moment, for this time and place. Because the powers are still chirping. And the time has come to stand like Christians. To never give up in freedom what was never given up in persecution. You know, see a picture here behind me. It was painted by a French painter named Jean-Léon Jérôme in 1883. Theologian Walter Wink says this, the victory of the church over the demonic power that was embodied in the Roman imperial system was not won by seizing the levers of power. It was won when the victims knelt down in the Colosseum and prayed in the name of Jesus for the emperor. It was not, he goes on, that a particular emperor was discredited and displaced. It was that the entire mystique of the empire, its spiritual power, was unmasked, disarmed, and rendered powerless. You see, there is a mystique, there is a facade of life that is still being held up by these powers. And it will kill, steal, and destroy human flourishing yet again. But Christ has come to give life and life to the full. Church, we're in a battle, but it is not against people. In the age and moment that we're in, this truth is needed with great clarity. It is time to stand and to be spiritually clad for war. A PPE ecclesia. Christians are saved out of the world by the love and might of God in Christ to take responsibility for the world, to stand in the current for this time and this place when normal is no more. Who are you in Christ? You are a saint, an adopted child, filled with the Spirit, full air with Christ right there.
And who are we as the church? We are the new creation, the new humanity, the family of God, the body of Christ, the ecclesia through whom the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is not your privatized therapeutic spirituality. This is war. And you are the people of God's amazing grace and God's invading peace. So wake up, take up the armor, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and stand and stand. Let's pray together, church. Maybe holding your hands open as a posture of, yes, Lord, as a way of saying you're open to what God wants to say to you by his spirit today, what he wants to say to us as a church. Now, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We celebrate this amazing grace, this amazing good news, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This is our positional reality. We are the teacher's pet. Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve it. Thank you that you keep calling children from out of the world, saying, come, come follow me, come to me. And Lord, if some of us are hearing that invitation for the first time by the Spirit of God today, I pray that every power that would try to inhibit that decision would be set free in Jesus' name. Children, come home to the Father. Come home. And Lord, fill us as your church with your Spirit. Empower us to love this world in the way you've loved, to be this people of peace, this people wielding the sword of the Spirit, these people of prayer, these people willing to suffer for the sake of this world that you have loved so much, Lord, and you continue to love. And we pray against the powers that are binding through hatred and dissension and discord, through anger, through pitting people against each other, through fear and worry. Lord, in Jesus' name, cut these off and bring about your kingdom. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We worship you and we thank you that you're good, your love endures forever, that you are great, the most high God, and that you will rule and you do. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord, amen.